Hayden Locke, President and CEO of Maramaca Copper. We're developing the Maramaca Oxide Copper Project in northern Chile. Uh, huge amount of work going on in 2022, leading us up to a resource upgrade at some point in the coming months, uh, which we think will hopefully uh, give people an idea of the step change in scale of the project. And, uh, and then a plan for us taking this project from idea to copper. Well, there you go, copper. Much needed copper. Hey, um, good to have you back on, Hayden. Um, you look like you are abroad. Where are you? On the ground in Chile. Good man. What's happening over there? Well, we just had a new person join the team uh, in the VP projects role, um, you know, starting to manage that transition from developer to uh, producer. You know, it's a, it's a challenging transition for every company and um, getting the right people in the right positions is key. And so this is the first hire for us as a company to start that transition. And, you know, Leonardo is an exceptionally experienced mine builder and um, has worked across the world. Uh, he's a Chilean, which is important for us. And, uh, yeah, he's, he started a, a week and a half ago. So my first trip up to site with him yesterday. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's good. So what was his uh, first reaction to that? Well, like everyone who comes to site, because I, I say this regularly, I, I talk until I'm blue in the face about the locational advantages we have with the Maramaca Oxide Project. It is an, an exceptionally located project, but until you actually stand on the ground, you can't appreciate it. And he came to site and his reaction was the same as just about everybody else. This is even better than I had expected it to be. You know, he was blown away. We we got in the car at the Antofagasta Airport and we we're on site in 35 minutes. So, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, See, that's easy to forget. Actually, you are pretty darn close to um, to town, aren't you? And so, and and obviously, I, I know you're gonna. You, you've told me in the past about the availability of infrastructure and water and energy and all, all of those good things. But look, here, here's what I want to get at today from you because it's a fairly stagnant market at the moment. It's a risk off. There's a few green shoots appearing, but it's just so generally kind of risk off, even for, you know, battery metals like, like, like copper and nickel at the moment. So I, I need to understand the scale and ambition of what you're trying to do. Because when first early days, we talked about this project, small project, it's it's made a little bit bigger. With this resource update, what, what are we looking for? And what does it, what, what does it actually mean? And where's that position you? Well, you know, at the risk of, uh, you know, saying something that might get me into trouble with the listing authorities in Canada, um, you know, in my mind, you start to become a globally significant copper project at the smaller end when you get to 900,000 to a million tonnes of contained copper in your deposit itself. And that then drives you to a potential 50,000 tonnes of copper production per annum for a mine life exceeding 10 years, but hopefully approaching 15 years. Um, and the reason I say exceeding 10 years is once you get below 10 years, you're financing discussions with banks and things become more challenging. So you ideally want to be sort of north of 10, approaching 15. Um, and 50,000 tonnes is an interesting number for us because it's really almost the perfect place in a trade-off between capital cost and executability for us as a smaller company. You know, we don't want to be talking about a billion-dollar capex when our market cap is uh, is $250 million. So it'll remain to be seen. We'll have a resource update hopefully towards the end of this month, early October, which will be able to then allow us to talk about the change in scale of the project uh, relative to what we had in the PEA. Right, so capex is one thing, but in terms of the way that the government views things, and this is probably in the context of the the, the new constitution, which we'll which we'll get onto, no doubt, because that's in the, on the lips of everyone at the moment. Is does the government view companies producing 
less than 50,000 differently from that it would of those larger producers above 50,000? Well, there's the, the new proposal for the fiscal arrangement, which suggests absolutely they do consider the smaller producers to be uh, slightly different. And I think that's really a functionality is you've got to remember that in Chile, there are still a lot of artisanal miners, picaneros, mining small scale projects, and the government does not want to stop them from doing that, take away their livelihood uh, by overly, overly taxing them. Um, so yes, I think they, they view the 50,000 tonne mark as the point that you tip over to becoming uh, you know, a producer of significant scale. Um, so they do, in, at least as they currently proposed it, and there's a lot of unanswered questions about that proposal, uh, a lot of uncertainty around whether that'll even make it through, um, but they certainly treat less 50,000 tonnes or less as a different beast compared to the mega projects it, up in the high end. It's interesting. So I just thought it was worth noting because I, um, I had a advice, we're actually buying copper mine ourselves in Chile, and we just had some advice around, you know, the, the, those sorts of thresholds. I think it's kind of interesting that. But let, let's, let's talk about the, the, the Constitution now, because it seems, seems appropriate, because what I'm trying to do in my mind is, is trying to understand the, the scale of what you've got in front of you, how you position it, like that 50,000 threshold is, is an interesting one, but there are, there are more, there's more, more to it than that, such as um, the ESG conversation, um, because the way that Canada views ESG versus the way that South America views ESG is different. So, in a, in a meaningful way, it's much more important than South America. So, I kind of I kind of want to go there. But let's go Constitution first. Being it's the result. The result comes out when? When do we know next week? The vote is on Sunday. This Sunday, right. so you know this will go out probably after the vote has occurred. I'm not sure how long it's going to take to get the results on that. But, you know, the voting is occurring. I'll be here for that vote and uh, I'll be able to get a sense on the ground of what's happening. Right. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 the vote counting. We don't want it to be the US elections all over again. So it's, it's, a, it's a process which is they're voting on a number of things. It's not just mining. It's healthcare and, and social reform and all of those wonderful things about making life better for people. So what's the expectation in terms of um, it actually getting through? We've heard varying reports yeah uh so i mean i've been speaking to a lot of people about that on the ground and you know maybe you have to be careful about whether or not my subsection of the people i'm talking to is representative of the, the views of the people but everybody seems to be of the view that it's unlikely to be voted through i think there are many problems still in the current proposed new constitution that are concerning enough people that they wouldn't be willing to vote it through um, certainly the polls are suggesting that that's the case but as we saw you know polls can be materially wrong so maybe we're not wise to place our faith in those but i think from my perspective the conversations that i've had are it's it's probably unlikely to get voted through and then that leads us to you know some some interesting times in chile well let's talk about that so if it does go through obviously potentially a slightly higher tax regime for my producers okay um and we talked about that ad nauseum. Um, if it doesn't go through, is that the end of it or do they go again? Well, I think they potentially can go again. I think that's one of the things that's unclear. I, I'm not sure that the people who wanted this um, change to occur will go quietly into the night and accept that the, uh, the, the process is over. Um, you know, I think with the fiscal regime on mining, I don't think it's necessarily uh, ex mutually exclusive from whether or not this new constitution gets in. They're, they can change the fiscal regime for, for mining projects um, under the current constitution, is my understanding. Um, and so the proposal will be debated. Um, but the big question is, you know, are they starting to realise that 
the, what was originally proposed and the potential damage that can occur um, outweighs the benefits of actually pushing through these new fiscal regimes, a la what's occurred in Peru, where they've rode back significantly on their previous desires to increase taxes significantly on the mining industry. I think there's a sudden realisation that mining is highly cyclical, exposed to uh, you know exogenous global events um, in terms of driving the, the price of the commodity that you're mining, and they have to be very careful about how they uh, implement tax changes at the at the detriment of the industry. Right. Yeah. It, well, like I, I guess we'll be in a better position in the next couple of weeks to, to talk about that. We'll know more. Um, let me let me go to another one of the points which um, is perhaps making people nervous about investing in Chile over and above the the constitutional uh, vote over the constitu new constitution, which is EIA or DIA. It's um, it's a real big thing. As I, as I get said at the outset, you know, Canada. They kind of encourage you to follow ESG guidelines. In South America, it's more, what's well, a bit more onerous than that. They almost demand it from, from companies. So where, where does that put you? You, you make a lot of, um, arguments for the way that you are going about delivering ESG in, in country. And I, we, we've seen people argue both sides of that coin. Some people are saying ESG, it's utter BS. It's just nonsense. And other people are going, well, actually, you need to understand. The significance of this and mining needs to be held, held to you know higher standards and, and needs to be held accountable. So, one, I guess, tell us where you sit with that and tell me why it is or if it is different in Chile specifically uh, around ESG and um, and your EIA applications. Look, I think um, the focus on ESG and responsible development is is fundamental to moving a project forward. If you're going to get finance and you're going to deliver, whether you agree with it or not. If you want to get financed and build a project, you have to be focused on these things because Chile is not any more or less onerous or uh, focused than any other jurisdiction I've worked in. They all have their nuances that are that are different, and Chile has its own focal points that are you know are required in order to move your project forward. So I think you agree with it, you don't agree with it, it doesn't matter. If you want to move forward, you've got to focus on it. So that's the first thing. And then the second point is. You know, is Chile any better or worse or a higher focus? Uh, I don't think so. And and we, I always say this, you know, within certain jurisdictions, there are areas where permitting is significantly easier than other areas. And I use Australia as an example regularly. If you're permitting a mine in Western Australia, your permitting process is going to be significantly easier than permitting a mine uh, in, you know, regional New South Wales, relatively close to Sydney. That's a, that's just a fact of life. There are There are specificities that occur depending on where you are within a country and there are certain things that you have to focus on and you know certainly in more developing nations they're more worried about how you're going to develop the local community and how you're going to give back some of the money that you're uh, mining out of that country whereas in you know more developing countries there maybe it's a heightened focus on environmental impacts so i don't think we can say it's more or less than other countries it's it's there's nuances to it which we're very well well aware of within our project, but it's very much locational specific um, as to what you need to focus on. Right, but but, but there has been a sort of change in narrative over the last past couple of years, and it's it's slightly unwinding somewhat in the sense that the SECs come down hot and heavy on some of these funds, which have rebounds themselves ESG funds, right? Because they're not. It's just a rebadging. It's a marketing exercise. They, they, they have not changed the you know, fundamentals of uh, of how they manage that money. Um, so there's the money side of things where the money's looking at you. It used to be a case of have you got all your permits and licenses in place uh, and permissions to build the mine? 
Yes, okay, here's the money. Now it, the, the funds have taken it upon themselves to actually judge your ESG uh, credibility themselves before perhaps they'd want to um, allocate capital to you. And then partly that's- And banks as well. And yeah. banks as well, right? So it's, it's, it's a kind of, it's a bizarre thing, but I think that's slightly unwinding now and there's a realization in the market that perhaps that was a kind of, well, a, 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 a false position from from which um, to for which well, who's the right person to police? Well, yeah, where, the focus on ESG. You know, is it the fine? Is it the money? Is it the government? Is it the company? And or is it a mix of all three? I don't think it's a problem to have everybody focused on it. Have you done what you need to do to ensure that you develop this in a way that's not going to ruin the environment or ruin the livelihoods right. of people? You know, right. Whatever it is. Right, but 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 I, but I think the, the the government, the state, the province, uh, or the county, you know, has a better better sense of that than a, a finance guy sitting in New York um, ticking a box. So the, personal view, but in terms of your company, you're going through a, a kind of process. Um, the EIA has come under the spotlight recently because you know the, the new head of environmental agency has been quite. Um, Ruthless in terms of the, their their vetting of projects, and they have to turn down a lot of applications recently. So that's making people nervous as well. Is is that is it fair to say that they are anti mining, or or is it just a case of you you need to go through the the phases? Well, it's actually and interestingly because it's I, I asked the same question. It's not just mining projects that are falling foul of this EIA process. There was a large, very large scale property development in Santiago which was recently turned down for an EIA. Um, so there is certainly a heightened focus on that EIA stream from the government. And we always knew that this was coming. I mean, we've had several conversations about what the big changes in the constitution are likely to be if it gets through. And the one that I focused on was there is going to be an extremely heightened focus on the environmental impact of large scale industrial developments. It's not going to be as easy as it once was uh, to push these large-scale developments through without considering the potential ramifications in 10, 20, 30 years' time and how you manage those effectively. Um, but I think one of the key, again, nuances of the Chilean um, permitting subsector is that there are two different trains that you can follow. One is called the DIA, which you mentioned, and the other is the EIA. And All right. it is so they're, they're, com they're completely separate? They're separate and they're slightly different in terms of what is required of you as a company in order to achieve the end goal. Now, it's reasonably rare to be able to submit an application under a DIA as opposed to an EIA. Um, and the reason for that is if you impact, and I can't remember all of the pillars, there's several pillars, but if you impact any one of, uh, let's call it flora and fauna, livelihood, air quality, water quality, water usage, indigenous populations, archaeological sites, tourism, if you impact any of those, then you're more likely to fall under an EIA. That is just a function of your project's location. It's nothing more than luck as to where you're located, as to whether or not you will have to deal with the more onerous uh, permitting route in Chile. And, and again, I come back to, I always talk about our location being exceptional, you know, we, we have no flora and fauna. We've done multiple baseline studies. We're not using groundwater. We're not using fresh water in, in development. We're using seawater. Um, there is no livelihood that we're resettling. There's no people. There's no farmland. There's nobody that we're going to have to up sticks and move um, and ruin their livelihood by building this mine. We don't impact any local populations. There's no towns near us other than Mejiones, which is 25 kilometres away. 
Um, there's no tourism to speak of in the area. There's no major touristic sites. We've done full archaeological surveys. There's no archaeological sites of any significance. All of that is factored into, and I, and I say, you know, the location is the advantage that we have, and it's nothing more than dumb luck as to the location being positive for us. Okay, so are there any examples that you can give where companies have got their EIA or DIA applications through? Like recently? Well, there's a, recently. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was an iron ore company um, in the Atacama, uh, which I'll, you know, I'll, maybe I'll send it to you and you can post it on the website, but uh, in the last five days, uh, a, an iron ore project got its approval through sale. Okay. Um, so that's one example. There's a small copper project private company uh, just near our old Ivan plant, um, which is in Lodges application as a DIA and was approved uh, or is going to be approved in the next couple of weeks, according to them. Um, so there are examples. There are also the headline grabbing examples of, you know, Los Bronces, which is just outside of Santiago, happens to be at the end of the valley where a lot of the wealthiest people in Santiago live. Um, you know, it's a, arguably a more challenging permitting framework than um, than somewhere in where, for instance, where we're located in the Antofagasta region of Chile. Okay, so they, they are issuing uh, EIA, environmental licenses. It's not a case of no, it's, it, it's a, it seems to be a case of up your game, boys, and well, you'll get one. Is that, what, is that it? Yeah, and I think um, it's maybe not even up your game. It's just, you, you know, there are, again, there are nuances for every single project. And, you know, the, there was a headline of the Solaris Norte mine, you know, being put on hold as a result of, you know, some issues with fauna being relocated. Um, okay, so that's a, that's a challenge that you have to deal with and relocating um, flora and fauna from your project area. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's about upping the game. I think they're just asking lots more questions about how you're going to manage with the impacts on, as an example, flora and fauna or tourism or whatever it is you know, water management, how much are you going to impact the road usage? Um, all these questions come into play as they're thinking of negative, potential negative impacts of project development. So, so what, what happens now? Because there's a kind of new um, uh, paradigm out there for mining, right? Inflation, supply chain issues and, 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 and so forth, which have caused that and, 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 and lots of reasons, costs on, you know, fuel and chemicals and people and you know, dynamite, you know, every, everything's going up in price, right? So you've got all of those cost constraints being, you know, um, out, you know, lumbered onto mining companies to deal with and say, well, you know, deal with it. Commodity prices will catch up soon, but, you know, between now and then it, it, it's all on you. Um, and now with, you know, raised ESG standards, like reallocating flora and fauna, or re, 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 you know, that costs money. It takes time, and time's money. So all of a sudden, you, you, there's a lot more pressure on mining companies um, and their ability to make money. And ultimately, you want to build a mine, and you want to make money. So you're going to need to you're going to need the copper price to do some heavy lifting for you, and you're also going to need the, the markets to understand this new paradigm means a new cost structure and, and a new margin um, environment. So. It, it's, it feels like it's getting more difficult to do mining these days. hundred uh, percent. I think that's been you know, clear over the last 10, 15 years that it's a very different world that we live in. Um, oh, no, for, no, forget 10, 15 years. I'm talking the last two years 
Price has gone up across the board like, like never before. Projects which would not have been marginal previously are now marginal projects, and that's worrying for funders, right? And then you've got ESG pressures like never before, adding to time um, and, and, and costs as well. So it, it's not 10, 15 years worth of pressure. That was nothing compared to today. It feels like. So do, you know, how, do, how do you deal with that? And what, what would you say to shareholders? And you'd say, it, it all levels out eventually, it always does. So what, what else would you say? Yeah, well, I mean, we're in the unfortunate position of inflation uh, occurring while you know the commodity prices are dropping at the same time. And uh, I think what we know is it doesn't last forever. The pendulum swings um, and at some point this will reverse um, and we go back to making money. But what, 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 rever what reverses? Are you saying inflation well, is either, either in all cases? Yeah, either commodity price catches up or in, or the cost pressures fall uh, and you come back to some sort of equilibrium that allows you to make a reasonable return on your invested capital. Um, but what we what we know is mining has always been a difficult business to make money in, hugely capital intensive, long-lived assets, you're exposed to geopolitical risk, you're exposed to commodity price risk. It's always been a challenging business to make money in. And I think therein lies the the requirement to go out and find the best possible assets that you, you can invest in. And I think in our asset, Maramaka, we talk about the location, but we also talk about the return on investor capital. I mean, we're an exceptional, we're a standout in terms of return on investor capital. doesn't matter what copper price you use, our return on investor capital is, is significantly better than the vast majority of our development stage peers. Um, that puts us in a really enviable position, a hugely defensive asset to weather these storms and actually get into production. Our location and our ability to get into production and, and circumvent or circumnavigate all of these permitting issues that everybody is facing is significantly better because of our location. And this is why I talk about a, a really, really unique project in terms of execution risk, financing risk, and uh, risk ex exposure risk to commodity prices. You know, it's a it's a fairly rare asset. The only issue we faced was that it was a bit small, and in the next couple of months, we'll go a long way to addressing that one issue for our project. See, so you mentioned the word luck earlier. I thought it was a very interesting thing to to say in business. It's luck. I think there's a real admission that you know some of the most successful people in the world got lucky. Um, you've <laughs> been lucky in terms of the location, in terms of where you know where your asset is. There's a proximity to all the infrastructure and the coast and being able to use seawater is, is a good example of that. You've been lucky in terms of the asset itself and what it seems to be giving up at the moment. Do you think that you're lucky in terms of timing the market as well? Well, there's certainly the last maybe two to three years has seen a step change in the interest in copper and a realisation that if we want to achieve all of these longer term goals uh, that, you're, uh, that you're going to need more copper. And so it's a great time to be in a copper project you know, notwithstanding that right now everything's under a bit of pressure and people are viewing global recession as extremely likely and that has a negative implication for copper. Uh, yeah, I think the, the timing is good. Um, but again, what I've seen over my relatively short career, and I'm sure you speak to guys with You're very young. Year plus You're very young, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is that, you know, you can go through a period of having no interest in your in your project and your commodity and then suddenly overnight it changes and you know you're off to the races and your project gets built um i remember you had an interview with uh, with ross Beatty where he described mining as an extremely long-term game mm -hmm. you know you gotta be you can't be thinking short term you can't be thinking 
what's this government going to do? What's that government do? Because what we know is over a 20-year mine life, things are going to change. The fundamentals have to be there. And if you believe in the fundamentals, then you should push ahead and, and solve the problems as best you can um, without thinking about the timing of, of these projects. Um, but timing presents itself with opportunities. And I think right now, not a great time for us to be financing using equity as an example. Uh, but who knows what happens in the next 12 to 18 months as we get ready to move towards production. Uh, the window opens and the window closes. You've got to be ready to take those opportunities. Yeah. I mean, for instance, you're looking at buying a copper mine in Chile. So, you know, what's the thought process that you've gone through to come, come to that conclusion? I think the standard answer for something like that is um, to buy myself some time ago. Uh, good question. Uh, <laughs> well, look, our, our, view, our view is that, like you just said, you know, you, you don't view governments um, in, you know, in the short term. You, me you measure, measure over, you know, the cycles and so forth. So I think Chile, clearly history of, of mining is, is there. This government is going, going through a a phase, as we call it, and we're prepared to consider that. We're also doing it on a private basis, uh, certainly initially, um, because we think we can work our way through that through those phases. But but also, I would say this: the reality on the ground, and you'll be able to back me up on this, I suspect. The reality on the ground versus the perception that the media put out there is very very different. It feels like business as usual. You people, you know, behave. You know, are behaving differently, and the government is actually behaving differently in the background than, than perhaps the media would like us to believe. So, I, I actually think Chile continues to be a good place for investment and investing. Um, I think that business um, is is very very possible there, and it has some of the best copper assets in the world. So, you know, it, it, for us, it's a kind of no brainer. Um, you just need to obviously, like you guys, put the right team together and and have um, you know have the money to to back that up. In this case, unfortunately, one hundred percent of mine. So um, you know, so I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm pro Chile, I'm, I'm pro copper, and mining in Chile, uh, and I think it, it'll be just fine. But th there we go. But we have to, we have to pay it tip a hat to uh, what the media is saying for sure. But look, enough of me, enough of me. Um, let's talk about. The, so I want to carry on this kind of luck thing because you know, luck is. There's a degree of luck and there's a degree of making your own luck, which is you know hard work and perspiration and planning and and uh, getting things done in the right way in the right order, etc. You've also got this Q5 technology, which I want to talk about. I mean, what what, what do you think that's going to be able to do for you? Well, we we have been looking at so the, the project is an interesting one in that we have lots of oxide, green oxide, black oxide, but as we get deeper, we move into a transitional zone, which has not a lot of chalcopyrite, but but certainly a significant amount more chalcopyrite than at the surface. And, you know, as it currently stands, we leave a lot of that in the, in the Ripios pile once we go through the leach. Um, you know, that's an unfortunate side effect of it being primary mineralisation. Um, there are lots of technologies that are being moved forward to help to leach this. Um, you know, Jetty, as an example, uh, Rio Tinto's got the Newton technology, uh, Antofagasta has Cupacraw, um, there's lots of technology to try and solve this problem. And, uh, you know, we've looked at them in varying levels of detail as to whether or not they're applicable for us to try and eke out that extra return, you know, take this project to another level uh, in terms of its return on investor capital. And um, we met the 5Q technology guys because they're the ones who bought our Ivan plant. And as we were talking to them about what their plans were to try and get a sense of you know, we're effectively partnering with them in terms of the transaction that we've done with them. Uh, well, I became really interested in their technology and we sent some 
some core to get tested with them and, uh, you know, we'll put out some results hopefully in the coming weeks as to what that potentially means. But I can say we almost certainly are going to do another phase of testing with them because the results have been very interesting. So, so tell me a little bit more about the chuckle pyrite because it, it's it's a big kind of indicator of where there will be copper. It, it kind of helps you I, I, identify where you should be targeting in, 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 a, in a meaningful way. What, what, what are you saying? You're saying that potentially you're leaving a lot behind currently like how much well so it depends on the area that you're in but there are areas where and it's 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 quite difficult for our project because we have a large quantity of black oxide but traditionally the residual copper in your acid solubility tests or your sequential copper residual uh, acid solubility plus cyanidable the residual copper is typically chalcopyrite which means it's not going to recover if you put acid on it. You recover a little bit because mm. there'll be some oxidation in the heat leach process, but it's not meaningful, maybe 5%. Right. And what these techno, so the Jetty technology, for an example, um, on the Pinto Valley project has helped them recover, I think, north of 50%, slightly longer leach cycle. I think it's a two year leach cycle. Um, and where it becomes interesting is these large, huge scale. Um, you know, waste piles that are acid mine, for, you know, acid drainage forming, um, if they could process that copper and extract some of that copper using existing infrastructure, then potentially there is a, you know, there is a return profile that allows that to, you know, to, to create more copper production. Um, you know, there's lo- lots of different technologies that try and achieve this. It's kind of the holy grail at the moment is to, is to, is to achieve this. And these guys have got a new approach um, which I have found pretty interesting, and they've got an industrial plant here in Chile, so it's a you know it's a really interesting one for us to follow up on. It's not something that's going to um, change our development strategy. It fits in with what the way we will develop this project. It doesn't change our technological risk profile. Um, so it's more of a well, how do we really eke out all of the returns that we can possibly get from this project. Um, in the most logical manner, you've got five years for the first five years down at 0.78, right? Which, which which is good, but you kind of want to be up towards that one number ideally, right? So, how do you? What does maybe you can't talk about your own technology, but if we look at Jetty, for instance, how how, how much has that been able to improve um, the results there? I mean, for instance, if you could do something similar, could you go from 0.78 to 0.85? Point nine. I mean, what, what, well, how the, the, much the better 0. is 0. it? 0.78, yeah, the 0.78 is the mined grade for the first five years. And in is that it? mined grade You're phase, right. we will recover about 80% because it's green oxides. It's not much chalcopyrite there. Got it, 0. 0.78. Where it gets 80. interesting is when we get down into the enriched zones and the mixed 0. mineralization, 6. where we have, we might still have 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7% grade, yeah. but our acid solubility is only 0.4%. And so we're potentially leaving half of that. Our recoveries might only be 55 or 60%. Got it. Now, the Jetty technology, um, as an example, you, know, you can recover up to 70% of chalcopyrite. It's over a, quite a longer leach cycle. Okay. So you've got to be willing to leave it on the pad and potentially take the acid consumption risk. But if you can recover 70% of that residual copper, I mean, that is game changing. Yeah. Where it where it really so the jetty technology, in my opinion, where it really changes things is if you've got the existing SXEW infrastructure, you've got the existing leach pads, and all you have to do is add some acid, and you can recover some copper and use this, uh, you know, this empty SXEW plant. Well, the return on investor capital for doing that is is significant. So 
you know, there's a, it's a kind of a, it's a slightly different mindset. You don't have mining costs. It's already mined. It's sitting on the surface. Where we're different, obviously, is we're going to be mining this. And so we're looking for something that takes us from a maybe 55% or 60% recovery in some areas to 75 or 80% recovery. And that is very, very meaningful for us in terms of retaining 50,000 tonnes a year of copper production for 15 years and potentially extending our mine life and potentially opening up new areas. And so it's, um, you know, it's how do we use, we're going to build an SXCW process plant, we're going to build an oxide heat leach mine. How do we best use that existing infrastructure to continue to extend our mine life and improve our return on investor capital? Right, and one last, thank you for that. I think that's really fascinating. And, you know, as you, you know, understand that better, we'd love to hear about it because you say it could be game-changing for you. Um, with the guys, your, your, your asset, it, it's, it's a big lump. It's a big blob. Right? You get all, you, you're lucky in, in, in a way, which probably, you know, is why, why your costs are, are like they are. But in terms of the expiration component, you just finished the 2022 um, drill program. You're, you're going to, I'm no doubt, tell us about that over the coming, coming weeks and months. But what, what else are you going to be doing um, with the expansion of the resource? For 2020, for the rest of this year and 2023. Yeah, so we we actually so we originally set out in 2022 to do an infill and expansion drill program. So we had the depth discovery, the extensions of depth, which we wanted to try and get into the measured and indicated category to then take into our feasibility study and for financing. Um, that drill program was originally to call it 30,000 meters. We've just finished a bit over 42,000 metres of total drilling. So we've expanded our drill program twice on the basis of good results that we were getting around the peripheral of the pit and at depth. So, you know, really the expansion of the Maramaka Oxide project is now done and we'll put out something, um, you know, towards the end of this month, early October, as to, you know, our NI43101 on that. Um, then taking a step back, well, there's still more, we think, to go with the Maramaka Oxide project. And then we've got our regional targets and the discussion internally will be, you know, as we always talk about, it's the trade-off. Do we want to spend more money exploring all of these regional targets or do we put our pedal to the metal and get the oxide project into production and, and then use cash flow to go out and explore? I think there's a happy medium there. We'll probably spend some money on it, um, depending on the sources of financing that we look at over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. Well, look, um, Hayden, I appreciate the update. I'm glad you're in country. Uh, good luck on Sunday for the Chilean people, whatever, whatever result they want. Um, we'll see you soon, okay? Thanks, Matt.